0: Of God Father Son and Holy Spirit Amen. <clears throat> Lord teach us to pray so said the disciples to our Lord acknowledging at once humanity's greatest desire and humanity's greatest need. The disciples knew they could not pray as Jesus prayed, and so they asked him to teach them. And so the Lord gave them a prayer. This prayer, the Lord's prayer, which we all know by heart, is the distillation of every prayer in Holy Scripture. And it brings the word of God and our lives into a joyful harmony. The book of Psalms is the one book that differs from all the other books of the Bible in that it contains only prayers. At first, it is something very astonishing to us that the Bible contains a prayer book. The holy scriptures are, to be sure, God's word to us, but prayers are human words to God what is this prayer book doing in our Bible and who is their speaker these questions were posed by the great 20th century pastor and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book on the Psalms and in the introduction to that book he highlights the difficulty of prayer even our conception of prayer, to learn how to pray, seems, seems contradictory, if prayer means the spontaneous outcome of our feeling, the overflow of our hearts. In highlighting the difficulty of prayer, Bonhoeffer notes that we are commanded to pray, but what do we do when prayer seems like it is a burden to us? or? Coming up with the words to say to God becomes a a torment. And yet, if we neglect prayer, we neglect what was once originally the natural inclination of the human soul. The first conversation recorded in human history is a dialogue, a conversation between God and man. Bonhoeffer notes that it is a great torment to speak to God when we do not have the words to pray as we ought. When my devotions could not pierce thy silent ears, then was my heart broken as was my verse. My breast was full of fears and disorder. My bent thoughts like a brittle bow did fly asunder. Each took his way. Some would to pleasures go, some to the wars and thunder of alarms. As good go anywhere, they say, as to benumb both knees and heart in crying, "Night and day, O oh, come, come, my God, come, but no hearing. O oh, that thou shouldst give dust a tongue, to cry to thee, and then not hear it crying. All day long, my heart was in my knee, but no hearing. Therefore, my soul lay out of sight, untuned, unstrung, my feeble spirit unable to look right, like a nipped blossom hung, discontented. George Herbert understood the difficulty of prayer, the burden and the torment we can sometimes feel. When our devotion seems unacknowledged, our thoughts crooked, our senses numb, when the prevailing feeling of our lives is discontentedness, and above all, the awful silence of God. But we should be encouraged. The Psalms are a number of things. First of all, they are poetry, Hebrew poetry. And knowing this fact about the Psalms helps us to understand them. For the Psalms, like all poetry, it gives not only the expression of the human life, but the full range of human emotion and experience. The Psalms, like all great poetry, redeems our experience and our emotions through language, the gift of language, exercised at its greatest intensity and pitch. Hearing the Psalms sung helps too. We have received them as songs, often sung antiphonally, back and forth, a kind of call and response, imitating the Hebrew poetic device called parallelism, but also conveying the sense that these songs are a prayer, a conversation between man and God. Indeed, above all, They are a record of God's speech to us and mankind's response to God. And so it is the words of the Psalm, specifically Psalm one, which concern us today. In addition to poetry, the Psalms are also, as we have just said, hymns. It is the first hymn book of the church. It punctuates our readings in the daily office, In between the Old Testament and the Epistle. We hear it in the Mass. It is the glue, the literal spine of the Bible. If you were to open it in the middle, there are the Psalms. The Psalms are the backbone of Anglican worship. And the Psalms are prayers. Saint Benedict of Nursia, whose famous rule uh, really paved the way of monasticism in the West and influenced the East, recommended that the Psalms would be read through by everyone in a Christian community in a week. Uh, This might seem like a rigorous requirement, but it's actually a bit easier than the early third and fourth century desert desert dwellers uh, in Egypt who would pray the Psalms in a day. They would sing them every day. And in some corners of the church, it was expected that priests and deacons and bishops should have the whole Psalter by heart. This emphasis that the tradition places on the Psalms, though, indicates to us that they are vital, that to neglect the Psalms or to not fully understand why they are there is somehow injurious harmful to our Christian faith. And so we ask, what is this most used and beloved portion of Scripture? What is it? What is it all about? What is it for? Who is its speaker? Our psalm appointed for today is Psalm 1. It is the first psalm, not in the sense of a sequence, but it is the principium, the archie of the psalm book. Indeed, it is the font and source for every other psalm, and indeed all of scripture. It is the gateway and entry into this great prayer book the church has received. And the rest of the psalms put the thesis of Psalm 1 to the test. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Thus begins the church's prayer life with three postures, which is the poet, the psalmist's way of describing every activity of our life, walking, standing, and sitting. And indeed, the first five words tell us everything we need to know. The Hebrew says, Ashrei Asher lo chalach." This Ashrei Ha'ish is the blessed man. Some translations generalize it and, and mean all of mankind, but that is an interpretation of what the text actually says. For this Ha'ish means the man, a man with a personal name, not the general term for humanity that was sometimes used uh, like mankind. No, this is a particular man. The man in Psalm 1 is not Adam, which is where we get the word Adam, the first man. It is a term of designation for all that descend from Adam. But Ish is who St. Jerome called the Homo Dominicus. He is the Lord man, the lordly man, in contrast to the man of dust. Indeed, the human who is but chaff. For Israel, the man of Psalm 1 is the man who hears the word of God and keeps it. He is the exemplary man, the perfect man. In the context of worship, and in particular temple worship, the psalm is addressed to God's people, to you and me, assuming that among those worshiping God are both righteous and unrighteous godly and ungodly the psalmist here is not indicting those who do not love God and who are outside of the fold of Israel it is a warning an admonition and an encouragement to God's own people which brings us into the difficult arena of morality Indeed, morality is important. It is the stuff of the Christian life. But this psalm is not just descriptive of you and me. It is is not prescriptive. It does not give us a manual of ethics with which to live our lives and judge the world. Rather, this psalm is descriptive of the man, the blessed man. The gospel is not mere morality. It is good news concerning this man. Nevertheless, the literal meaning remains important and scripture characterizes humanity in two ways, the blessed and the cursed. And when the law of God is given two ways, are presented, the way of life and the way of death. In Deuteronomy 11, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, the blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you this day, to go after other gods, which you have not known. And so the law reveals that no one is righteous. The reality of the Bible, the strange world of the Bible that grows stranger and stranger to us in this modern world, is the assertion that there is two types of people the blessed and the cursed. Those who are in Adam and those who are counted as a part of this blessed man. This is the surface, the the literal moral message of this psalm. But if we take Psalm 1 and indeed the rest of scripture in just this way, we miss out on so much. As St. Ambrose of Milan would often tell his congregation, the spirit, the, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. To interpret Scripture and the Psalms is to discover and recover the Spirit in which they were delivered and written and received by the Church. Scripture, the Psalms, what we hear here in Church and in our daily devotions are learned in the church for the church's sake. Scripture, as Ambrose goes on to say, is divinely inspired, not just because God inspired the author, but because when we read the scriptures, when we come to the Psalms, they breathe forth God. The point of Psalm 1 is to give purpose, to give life. Therefore, it is most urgent in greeting this first psalm to identify the man. For in identifying the man, we also identify the unifying principle of all of sacred scripture. The man of Psalm 1 is the Lord Jesus. And the life described in this psalm is his alone. It was his alone to live, and it is his alone to give. According to Holy Scripture, there are two types of people, as we have heard. Those in Adam, made from dust, that are like chaff. And those in Christ, who are like a tree that is planted, not by themselves, but someone else. For as St. Paul tells us, through the first man, Death came into the world, but the second man, the second Adam, the Ashrei Haish, the blessed man of this psalm, is a life-giving spirit. This is what Psalm 1 prefigures. It, It is an exposition of the blessed man, the one who is both God and man. This prefigurement in Psalm 1 is fulfilled Briefly in today's gospel, recall the blessing and curse found in Deuteronomy, which is contingent on behavior. But here, with Christ speaking to his disciples, there is no such command, there is no contingency. Jesus' pronouncement of blessing and curse affects what it says. It is an exposition of his own person and work. It is who he is and what he does for us. He who was rich but became poor for our sake. He who was full but emptied himself. He who is the embodiment of God's joy because he is God himself became a man of sorrows. He who was beloved by God, but rejected by men. And so the blessings of Psalm 1 are his alone. What is the purpose, then, of of prayer? The Psalter answers this question. The reason we pray the Psalms, the reason why we pray the Psalms as Jesus prayed them and see Jesus on every page of his prayer book is because it gives us a glimpse into what St. Paul called the mind of Christ. It is not only descriptive of who the Redeemer is, but it gives us an account of his most intimate thoughts. Indeed, the Psalms are so precious because they are a record of Jesus' own thoughts. The Psalms also give us confidence when we pray. Christ carries us in his prayer, the Psalms, when we pray the Psalms with him, just as God carries us in his language, as John Dunn said. We are borne aloft by the Spirit of God when we read and pray his holy word. And indeed, when words fall short, the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and sighs too deep for words christ tunes our life and doctrine to his own so that we may be like the trees described in today's reading by streams of water that are fruitful in season and out of season and so just as psalm one introduces us to the blessed man Psalm 2 introduces us to God's anointed King and Messiah. And the contrast between the way of the godly and the ungodly that we see in Psalm 1 becomes an all-out conflict as the psalmist says to God, why do the nations rage? And then Psalm 3 arrives and we meet the promised deliverer, the suffering servant, The new Adam of Psalm 1 and the new King David of Psalm 2 is the Savior of Psalm 3, who prayed the Psalms on the cross. He lived and died with these prayers always on his lips, and we only pray them through and with and in him. How do I know the mind of Christ? How can I be Christ's disciple? How can I pray? The Psalms tell us. Our dear Lord, who has given to us and taught us to pray the Psalter and the Lord's Prayer, grant to us also the spirit of prayer and of grace so that we may pray with enthusiasm and earnest faith. Properly and without ceasing, for we need to do this. He has asked for it, and therefore wants to have it from us. To him be praise, honor, and thanksgiving. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.